just told Jennifer, I, it's always difficult for me on the last night of a gospel meeting to feel like I'm remembering every one that I want to thank and everything that I want to say. And I'm sure that I won't remember everything, but I do want to mention just a couple of things uh, before I begin in our study this evening. I, I want to thank again the elders uh, for the invitation, for a second invitation to come and to be here and to be working with this congregation. The last time I was here, I enjoyed it so very much. And the encouragement that I received from all of the members, from the elders, from the deacons, from every part of this meeting, I just kept thinking I wish Jennifer could be here. I went home telling her about it, and it is so wonderful that, that she's able to be here with me this time. And it uh, certainly helps me, and it helps my preaching to be able to have her with me, so I appreciate uh, the fact that she was able to come up and the wonderful accommodations that you've made for us uh, to just, just make this stay so easy and the hospitality I've mentioned. I want to say again to everyone who has uh, opened their homes, opened their hearts, uh, uh, shared what they have with us. Uh, it's meant the world and we've gotten to know you better and that's been especially wonderful. I'm thankful for the song leaders and the wonderful singing that we've had. I'm thankful for the young people who got together on Sunday night for the Renfro's that opened their home. Uh, that was so encouraging to Jennifer and I to be able to be with all of you and to see so many young people here every night of this meeting uh, has been a tremendous encouragement as well. But just the extra time, those of you that I got to know three years ago, uh, I'm getting to know better this time and then others that I'm getting to know for the first time, uh, it's just so wonderful and it's a taste of heaven that we're all going to be together forever and hopefully sooner rather than later, I'm ready for the Lord to come back. And you might not be, you might be thinking, hold on, Brett, but I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm ready for that, for that day to come. And I hope that you're ready. And I hope that as we go through our study tonight, you'll be thinking about that because that certainly could be any day. It certainly could be tonight. And we want to be ready for that. And in the end, as much as this has blessed me and blessed Jennifer, and hopefully blessed all of us to be opening God's Word. Above all, I pray that Christ has been magnified. I pray that through the, the preaching that I've done uh, here, the study that, we've, uh, that we have uh, participated in, uh, that the Lord has been exalted and that you've drawn nearer to Him because that's what this is all about. And I'm so thankful to Him uh, for this opportunity, for His redemption, uh, for the blessings that I have because of that. And I thank all of you for making that even sweeter. I know that there will be other things that I think about later uh, that I wish I would have said, but I, I hope that that pretty well uh, covers it all. I, I do want to say I, I'm glad I thought of this. I'm so glad I got to meet Dustin and his sweet wife, and I'm excited about the work that they're going to be doing here with you. I've been so impressed with him. I was able to spend a little extra time with him, more than I have with his wife and his kids, but they're so sweet. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with Dustin. I look forward to spending, uh, staying in touch with him, spending more time. Uh, you know, I said last time I was here, and I want to say it again, while I haven't had the opportunity to get to know Bob as well as I would like to, uh, just from the standpoint of preachers, there's so many things that I pick up on that I appreciate and respect about him. And uh, it, it speaks volumes. Um, first of all, the congregation that's here and the genuine faith that I see in so many and I'm not uh, necessarily giving all the credit of that to Bob, and he wouldn't want all of that, but it has a great deal to do with the teaching and the preaching that's been here, and he's been here uh, for a number of years doing that, and so I want to commend uh, Bob on, on the wonderful work that I see here and the elders, of which he is one, 
uh, for the shepherding and the guiding and the direction because I understand and appreciate that as well. It is such a tremendous job, but it is such a blessing uh, when it is done well and when it is done right. And of course, uh, God gets the glory for all of it. But I do want to say that. I'd like for you to notice with me, if you would, in John 16 tonight, in John chapter 16 and in verse 33. I want you to notice there, as the Lord was speaking to His apostles in John 16, He said in verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying to his disciples that he has accomplished something. He's about to die. He knows that. He's giving this to them, and he's saying, I've done this. I've overcome the world, and so can you. Now, now let's make a point here. When Jesus is talking about overcoming the world, I think that we all get that, what he's talking about. But, but let me emphasize, he's not talking about overcoming God's creation. He's talking about the world in the sense that we see it in 1 John 2. You know, in 1 John 2, John, by inspiration, writes in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away. He's not just talking about God's creation by the world. And when Jesus said, I've overcome the world, he's talking about the world as being the realm where Satan has his way. This is where he is the prince of, of, uh, of power, the prince of the air. He, this is where he is allowed a, a certain amount of liberty and power to have in this world. And he said, that's passing away. That time is coming to an end. But he said, I've overcome that. And he's saying that you can as well. Overcoming the world. This is the victory that we all want and what we're looking for. I want you to notice then in 1 John 5. If you were already looking at 1 John chapter 2, just turn a, th a few chapters uh, past there to 1 John chapter 5. And I want you to notice with that setting of Jesus overcoming the world, the world of, which is the realm uh, where Satan has uh, his way, at least to a certain degree, I want you to notice that John says there in verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith he's talking about the same thing jesus was talking about jesus said i've overcome the world and you can too so john writes now that this is the victory that has overcome the world it is our faith faith we talked about faith last night we talked about faith in uh on sunday uh, morning in the, in the uh, uh, second hour or in the hour of worship there uh, at 10 o'clock. I'm trying to get my times right. When we talked about Moses and the rock of stumbling there, we talked about faith. And one of the things we said about faith was that it was used there or belief is used there in Numbers 20 in its comprehensive sense to include obedience. And I want to suggest to you that what we're reading here in 1 John 5 and in verse 4 is just that way. It is faith being used in its comprehensive sense that includes obedience. It is a figure of speech called synecdoche, the part put for the whole. It is describing a faith that obeys. Sunday night, young people, we talked about what you can do to be able 
to live consistently pleasing to God? How do you overcome temptation? How do you remain faithful is the question that we ask and what we explored. And I want to tell you, it all comes together in this. This is the victory that overcomes the world. This is how you remain faithful. It is by and through a faith that obeys. Now, we could look at different aspects of faith because I want to tell you, there is so much depth to this statement that, that I'm not going to plumb the depths of it tonight. There are a number of different aspects of faith that we could look at in this, but I want you to notice one in particular this evening in the time that we have. When we talk about the subject of faith, we're talking about something that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and in verse 17, is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And what I want you to realize is that what he's telling us here is that faith is not an intuition. Faith is not merely a feeling that I just, I just believe, I just have faith that God's going to like this, so I'm going to offer it up to Him. That's not faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In other words, if you don't find it in the Word of God, it's not by faith. If you do not find the direction, if you don't find the instruction, if you don't find the authority for it in the Word of God, it cannot be done by faith. Faith is a conviction based upon divinely revealed facts. You might have faith in something, but if it is not something the Bible has revealed, that's not Bible faith. But when we have divinely revealed facts by which we are convicted, then that is by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's as if God is, through His Word, He is giving us this great direction. You know the song that, that maybe you still sing often that we used to sing when I was younger, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. How does He do that? Well, we walk by faith and not by sight, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and therefore it's by His instruction, by His direction in the Word that we walk by faith. And therefore He's guiding us. If you will, God is our air traffic controller. He's guiding us through a barren land. He's guiding us through a place that, that we have not experienced. There are others who've gone on before us, but we have not walked it yet. Every step, every day is a new day for us. The same way that God led Israel through a wilderness that they had not been to before. He's guiding us in the same way that an air traffic controller guides airplanes when they cannot fly based upon sight. God is directing us by and through His Word. Therefore, He says in 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. That is, we walk according to what God's Word tells us and how it directs us. But I want you to think about that phrase there in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. When he said we walk by faith and not by sight, he's not saying that we just close our eyes. He's not saying that we walk around without looking where we're going. He's not talking about physical sight uh, uh, per se. But, but in a sense he is in the, uh, from the standpoint that when he says that it's not by sight, sight represents walking by what we see, taste, feel, or touch by what we experience here and what we develop in our own human wisdom. We walk by faith because even when it is contrary or appears contrary to what we see or what we would think, we trust God. We believe Him and we're going to take His way 
You look at the Beatitudes. As Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. I mean, that, that's one of those things that it goes against what we would commonly think would be the happy or the blessed life. Over and over again, God is directing us in that way. And, and as we were looking at examples last night of salvation by grace through faith, and you think about Gideon's army, and he sends them up around the enemy camp, and all they have are torches and trumpets. That goes against what we would think when it comes to winning a battle, when he told the children of Israel to march around the, the uh, city of Jericho seven times and to shout and to blow the ram's horns, that goes against what we see, taste, touch, or feel based upon human wisdom. And that's by God's direction, and therefore when it's done, it's done based upon faith and based upon trust. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about walking by faith and not by sight. However, in thinking about that idea of walking by faith and not by sight, I want us to notice a, a passage in Hebrews. In Hebrews, I want you to notice in chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, he says in verse 1, you're familiar with this passage, Hebrews 11 and verse 1, he said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's the idea of Walking by faith and not by sight, right? We have evidence for it. It's, this is not blind faith. There is evidence produced. And this is very much what a jury does. Our justice system is based upon this very idea that we select a jury that cannot be an eyewitness to what they are determining. They, they, the less they know about it, the better. And they are presented evidence. They don't get to see everything that happened, but they're presented evidence. They're not eyewitnesses, but they have eyewitnesses testify. And it is based upon that evidence that they, in a sense, see what happened. They don't see it actually, not as an eyewitness sees it, but it's based upon evidence that they have that understanding. That's what he's saying here in verse 1, that we have with God's direction regarding the creation of all things. We weren't there. But we have the evidence. We have the testimony. Now I want you to look in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We weren't there. But it's by faith that we understand. You say that word understand. It is a Greek word that means to comprehend, to perceive, to see with the mind. That's what I want you to take in this evening. That while we walk by faith and not by sight, we do see, in a sense, with the mind, by faith. That's what he's saying here in verse 3. By faith we see with the mind, or understand, or comprehend, or perceive that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made with things which are visible. Understand. That's an important aspect of this. We see by faith what is not seen with the eye. Now stay with me. I know I'm, you're wondering, where is he going with this? We're talking about one aspect of faith, which is the victory by which we overcome the world. It is that faith is how we see with the eye what we need to understand. Now notice in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says in verse 17 through 18, 
Ephesians 1, verse 17 through 18, he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of Him. Now look at verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. Notice that. The eyes of your understanding enlightened, that you may know. The word understanding here, the eyes of your understanding, that word translated understanding in the New King James Version is the Greek word cardia from which we get the word heart, feelings, the mind. This passage is telling us that there is a sense in which the heart or the mind has eyes to see and to be enlightened. Fotizo is the word there, to shed rays, to shine, to brighten up, to enlighten, to illuminate. What he's saying is that there are things that we see with the mind's eye. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but I want to just bring this out so that we can grasp and appreciate the fullness and the richness with which uh, uh, he's telling us this, that it is by faith that we understand or that we're enlightened. It is by faith that we have, that the eyes of our heart can perceive the things that we need to see. So friends, what I'm wanting us to understand is that he's telling us that faith provides the telescope, the vision to see what we need to see to persevere. Faith, which is our willing conviction based on reliable divine evidence or revelation, is the lens through which we have the vision to see what we need to persevere. And I cannot emphasize enough, especially young people, listen, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that you have this vision. Not just some, not just some type of a vision based upon feeling, but a vision based upon God's Word that directs you, that shows you what God wants you to see. You know, the Bible speaks about the importance of vision in a number of passages. But I want you to notice with me in Proverbs 29 and in verse 18. In Proverbs chapter 29 and in verse 18. The New King James uh, translates it this way. Proverbs 29 and in verse 18. He said, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That word re translated revelation, the King James Version translates it vision. And the ESV probably has the, the best translation. It says prophetic vision. I, I say it's probably the best because, yes, it does convey the idea of revelation, of divine revelation, but, but the word conveys more than that. It conveys divine revelation that provides vision. Prophetic vision. A prophetic vision was revelation, but it was to see into something. It was to see something that we could not otherwise see. And isn't it interesting that he says there that without that prophetic vision, without the Word of God, which faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and thus we have our, the eyes of our heart enlightened and we perceive, he says without that perception, without that kind of vision of the mind's eye, the people cast off restraint. Yes, they certainly will. They'll cast off restraint because without being able to see something better, Life becomes very hopeless. 
That's what happens. That, that's what the Bible provides for us. And we need to be able to, to appreciate that, is that hope and that confidence that we have because we can see what the human eye can't always see. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of trouble, we're able to see something better that awaits. That keeps us going. But when people don't have any hope, when they don't see anything better, when they cannot have that vision, they cast off restraint. Parents, I want to tell you, your children need their own valid faith or they'll cast off restraint. The Holy Spirit in this text refers to God's revelation as something that gives us the ability to see what is otherwise hidden. And isn't that exactly what Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God was? It is to be able to see something that cannot otherwise be seen. The book of Revelation is essentially a peek behind the curtain to see the heavenly realm, a vision of the throne room of God and the battlefield of heavenly beings. Thanks to God that we're able to see these things by His revelation, which we would not otherwise see. Vision is so important. It's important in work. Having vision is important in business. It's important in sports. The ability to see, the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or with wisdom. Think about that word, imagine, image in. That's what we're doing. We're able to bring the image in from the Word of God that He provides for us. There is a need to visualize. All professional sports emphasize visualizing your goal. You think about golf. Tiger Woods tells how his father emphasized visualizing the ball rolling into the cup. And it works. This is what I, the way I taught my son to, to shoot free throws is to watch it go in as you release the ball. There is something to visualization, and it's in every aspect of sports. I, I went on a couple of elk hunts with a man named Tony Adams, used to be a quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he was, he was guiding me on this hunt, and we got to talking about uh, his days in football and about being a quarterback on the NFL level, and he was telling me that for every successful quarterback on that level, he said when the ball is snapped and the play goes into motion, everything goes into slow motion. Kind of the way that we feel when we might be in an accident, you know how you think back and it's almost like everything went in milliseconds. You just, everything you saw it going and knowing, uh-oh, this, this isn't gonna be good. And I guess sometimes that's the way it feels for a quarterback, but he said that everything slows down, it goes into slow motion, and that quarterback is able to see through the distractions to the open play. And the defense is doing everything to throw him off. Decoys and everything else, but, but the good ones are able to see through all the noise, all the distractions, and to see that open play. That is the vision that we've got to have as God's children. We've got to see through all the noise in this world. We've got to see through all the, all the decoys that Satan's throwing out there to discourage us. And to make us think, well, there's no hope. And to make us give up and to worry, as we talked about Sunday morning. Or bitterness to try to overthrow us and to, and to eat us up from the inside out. All of these are efforts of Satan, uh, uh, efforts of distraction. But faith is what gives us the vision to be able to see through all of that. We keep our eyes on the prize. We keep our eyes on Christ. We look and we see beyond the skirmish that's going on right now. And it may be painful. It may be very, very painful. 
but we're able to see through it and we're able to visualize in that very way. I want you to realize that vision, revelation produces faith or conviction and faith produces confidence and hope. In 2 Corinthians, I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Wow, that's powerful. He said, we don't look at the things that are seen. We don't look at the noise. We don't look at the distractions. We don't focus on the things that are trying to take us away from our walk with God. We look at things that are not seen. We see the unseen. Peter looked at the things that were seen, the wind and the waves, and it began to sink. How do we look at things that are not seen? With the mind's eye. Visualization. What he was talking about in Hebrews 11, 1 and in verse 3. We notice in 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 7 where he says we walk by faith and not by sight. But look back at verse 6 just prior to that. 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 6 he said, so we are always confident. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I expect that there are a good number of brethren here that can say they're always confident. I hope so. We should be. But how do you get there? In good times and bad, in hard times, how are we always confident? Because of verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't look at the things that are seen. We look to the things that are not seen. That's why we're always confident in a God who's always faithful. And He'll always do what He says He will do. You need that vision. Brethren, you need that vision. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's giving us that, that vision to be able to see what we need to see. Romans 15 and in verse 4, the things that were written before time were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have, remember the rest of that? Hope. It's that vision that gives us hope. It's what God reveals to us that we wouldn't otherwise see or we wouldn't otherwise know. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 24 through 25, he speaks about the fact that we are saved in this hope. We hope for what we do not see. see. We see it with the mind's eye. That's why we hope for it. We see it and we believe it, but it's with the mind's eye. We don't see it with the human eye. And so because of that, we hope for it. Hope is that confident expectation by which we are able to accomplish what God needs us to accomplish. And thus, all things work together for good. That's what we see. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And I think I pointed this out on Sunday. I think that's when we were looking at this passage, at least briefly. God did not, did not say here that all things that happen to us are good. That's not what he's saying. But he did say that all things work together for good. You know, this is, this is kind of like a, a, a really good cook. Somebody accidentally puts too much of, of one spice or one ingredient in. A good cook knows how to add something else that just neutralizes it, takes it out, or makes it even better, you know? I mean, if, if I 
went to someone's house this week to, to have a meal and they just put a big old, uh, plopped a big old pile of uh, chopped, diced raw onions in front of me. I wouldn't look real appetizing. But you put up, you dice up some tomatoes and put in there, maybe a few other spices and then some tomato sauce and a few other things and you make some salsa out of that. I'll eat it till I get sick, <laughs> you know. And this is the thing about what Romans 8 is talking about, at least to some degree, is that when life puts a big old pile of onions, God knows how to put other things in there that make it good. He can bring it all together. He can make all things work together for good, and He does it all the time. It can work to His glory, and it can work to our victory. We've got to have confidence in that, and therefore, we have to be able to see through. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 1 through 13, Paul had some really downer news there. He said, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And he begins to tell them about men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and unholy. And you know what he's talking about today? We're in those last days. We're living in these perilous times right now. The last days are going to be difficult. And I want to ask you, how will Christians keep pressing on? Now, if everything's going good for you right now, you might think, well, you know, we just, you know, just go to church, you know, read your Bible every now and then. We're, we just need to look to God. But if you're going through a crisis, if your faith is being tested, there's a good chance that you're going, I know, Brett, I'm not real sure. This is heavy. I mean, I know, technically I know, I know what the Bible says, but man, some days you got to wonder how do young people keep their purity? How do they keep on keeping on? How do married people work through the, the struggles and the difficulties of that vision? Being able to see what we can be if we submit to God and the fact that God is going to be with us every step of the way. Again, I want to say, if people are not able to see, they will cast off restraint. Parents, your children must have real faith. In order to have real vision, in order to have real hope, in order to keep on keeping on. In Acts 17, in verses 30 through 31, as Paul was there on Mars Hill speaking to uh, the philosophers, he said, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul gave the vision of accountability. He said, let me give you a little vision here. I want you to see something with mind's eye. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes back, and you are going to give an answer for your conduct, for everything that you've done. That's a vision of accountability. But, but I want you to know that vision also... There is a vision of the reward that gives us hope and it strengthens our heart. And that's why we need all of that. We need the vision of accountability sometimes. Other times we need the vision of hope. and We need the vision, uh, we need the vision of assurance. It is crucial that you have this vision, the ability to see through the difficulty. God answers our prayers and blesses us here in this life. No doubt about that. He answers our prayers. He blesses us. We're going through a hard time. Things get better. We go through a season of refreshing. But let me suggest this, brethren. We need to be able to see beyond just the season of refreshing in this life. We need to see beyond the blessing in this life. Something we've prayed for, it comes to pass, the, the prayer's been answered. 
That's wonderful. But I want to tell you, it's about more than that. Much more than that. We need to see through the temporary ups and downs of this life, and we need to see the reward that awaits us at the end. In 2 Corinthians 4, we saw just earlier in verse 16, Paul said, we do not lose heart. I, yeah, I challenge you, write down how many times the Bible speaks about losing heart. That is such a simple phrase, but it means so much. And how often do we lose heart? He said, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And he goes on down talking about the fact that it is working for us. Even our suffering is working for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's got weight to it. It's got substance. And then he says, we don't look at the things that are seen. But then notice, he goes on into chapter 5. And he began speaking about uh, the fact that we are, we are groaning in this, in our earthly house, and it's being destroyed, talking about our, our fleshly body. And then notice, uh, uh, he's speaking about the fact that, um, in, in verse uh, 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And it's right after this, in verse 7, he says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We are always confident Paul longed for and groaned for that immortal body. We need to be able to see beyond getting over an illness. And I'm not diminishing the importance of that. When we pray that someone is able to overcome a severe illness, a serious, maybe something that is deadly, that is wonderful. We're going to die. This body is going to wear out. It's going to be something else. We've got to be able to see beyond that. And that's what made Paul exceptional. That's why he was able to overcome the world. That's why Jesus overcame the world. And faith is the ability to visualize what God says he will do, what cannot be seen with a mortal eye, to see through the trials, to see through the doubts, to see through the family problems, to see through the financial problems, to see through the disappointment in people that we have loved and even respected in the past, to see through the loss of a loved one, to see through the loss of a friendship or a relationship, an illness or an injury, pressure at school, and never, ever, ever lose sight of the goal. Our lives are going to be chaotic at times. But we've got to stay God-minded. Remember your Creator, Ecclesiastes 12 and in verse 1. I want to look then, as we close, at just a, a couple of examples of this that maybe just give us a, a picture of what we're talking about. First of all, I want you to consider Noah. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 7, the Bible says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. How did he do that? By faith. That is not simply about the idea of, well, I just believe it, but it is that God told him what was going to happen. He believed it. He saw it with his mind's eye. He'd never seen a boat. He'd never seen a flood. He'd never seen anything like that. But he believed God. He could see it with the mind's eye. And that's what moved him. And I'll tell you, 
He kept on keeping on, didn't he? For a good number of years, he was a preacher of righteousness and with a very small number of those who would do what the truth was. He was a man who walked by faith, and he was able to see something that no one had ever seen before, but he believed God. He trusted Him, and because of that, he could see what God was saying. Not only Noah, but Abraham, another wonderful example of this. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us about Abraham in verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He's talking about Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. He was told that he would have a child and that he would be, or he was told that God would make of him a great nation and he didn't even have a child. He was in his old age. His wife was barren. But he believed God. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The Hebrew writer says in verse 9, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He knew that that was going to be his land someday. It wasn't right now, but he could see it. He could see it by faith. Verse 10 says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He saw beyond all of that. He saw to that which is eternal. In Romans 4, it speaks about this faith. Romans 4 and verses 17 through 22, he says, In the presence of him who, uh, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, listen to verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Man, how do you do that? Contrary to hope, in hope believed. That's saying that Abraham was hoping for something that was contrary to normal human expectation. But he hoped none of the, nonetheless because he believed. I don't know if you're familiar with the song or not. The song, He is Able. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. He is able, more than able, to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what He wants me to be. What a beautiful verse, what a beautiful song, what a beautiful thought that we need to remember. But notice also Moses. We're told about Moses in Hebrews, again, chapter 11, in verses 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. How did this man have the faith to go before Pharaoh as God commanded in Exodus chapter 3 and to demand that he let the Israelites go again and again and again? without an army, without a sword, without any weapon to fight with, but he's going to walk up with confidence before Pharaoh and say, God said, let my people go. He did it by faith. And listen to Hebrews 11 and in verse, uh, uh, notice what he says in verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Was that with his physical eye? Did he see anything rewarding in that physically? No, he didn't. But with the mind's eye, with God's promise, with God's revelation, by faith, he 
He could see. How did Moses get through all the stress and the difficult times? Not only before Pharaoh, but before the Red Sea. The, the Egyptian army is marching down on them. The sea is in front of them. They have nowhere to go. He said to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. How did he hold up before the complaining people, wanting at times to stone him? And we talked about that Sunday. And I want to tell you, until we learn this, we will be overcome again and again and again until eventually we don't return. But if we learn it and do it, we will rise above and we will always be confident. It is this vision by faith. And it is this aspect of faith that gives us that great victory. And finally, I want us to consider Paul. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 through 14, Philippians 3 and verses 13 through 14, Paul said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There he is talking about the resurrection again. That upward call, let us all look forward to that. It moved him. It motivated him. It led him to be who he was. And so he would say in 2 Timothy 4 and verses 7 through 8, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How does he know that? He sees it. He's visualized it. We need to visualize those things that we really want to obtain. We visualize those things that we really want to see or to do. And Paul had visualized this as well. This is what Paul was able to see. So in 2 Timothy 1 and in verse 12, he said, For this reason I've suffered all these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. That carried Paul through to the end of his life. That gave him the victory, that ability to see. Friends, God's Word provides the telescope for us to see through. The question is, do we trust that same telescope of God's Word that these men did to guide us? How much time are you spending there? How much time in meditation on God's Word from what you've read, what you've studied, to spend that time? How much time there do you trust that same Word? And do we trust God to help us and to work through us? He promises He will. He'll be there. We'll never be alone. And He will work through us and accomplish His will in all these things. Paul said in Philippians 4 and in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, want, I wanted to end this meeting. I wanted, to, I wanted to complete this effort with this in mind because this is what it's all about, the victory. And I pray that every soul here will gain that victory and that we will all join one another in the clouds someday. But this is what it's going to take. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. We need the vision of faith. We need to see what God wants us to see. And in doing that, we will have that great victory. 
If you're here this evening and you haven't obeyed the gospel, that's where you need to begin. You need to come believing in Christ as a son of God, as a savior. Confess your faith in him, repent of your sins, and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Everything is ready, and we can assist you. We can do that tonight. You can leave here rejoicing, having all your sins washed away, forgiven, and be born again as a new man, a new creation. If as a child of God, you have let yourself drift away from the Lord, you've transgressed, you've, you've, you've lost your fellowship with Him through sin, come back to Him, pray to Him, repent of that sin. And if you need our prayers, we'll be more than happy to pray with you and to provide whatever we can to assist you in going ahead and gaining this victory by faith. Whatever your need is, we plead with you to come while we stand and sing the invitation song.